We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Player and team developments we expect or hope for. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find uh, me on Twitter at Yarsberg Gretsch and find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Sean, we're recording this first thing Friday morning after Thanksgiving. My brain not really working that well. You seem pretty fresh, though, so I'm excited to, to pick your brain a little bit here about what we're looking for in Week 12. Yeah, it was a it was a full Thanksgiving day. I had sort of a, an unusual one doing it by myself. Ben here has done the normal Thanksgiving, and that with his Wednesday night ships chasing has uh, him. I, you look good. I, I think you're ready. So we're gonna. I'm coming out, I do, that, that's sarcasm, right? I can't possibly look good. I'm coming out of like a 36 hour bender. Let's put it that way. So so Ben is ready. We may get. Uh, even more unfiltered takes from him. Today, we'll look a little bit back uh, at yesterday and mostly look forward at week 12, which for all of our FFPC listeners is the key week. You're going to get your playoff spot, your playoff uh, seating, and you need to make a big push. Ben, we've been looking a lot at our different paths to either clinching the number one seed, if that's the most relevant item for a team or our path to the number four seed if we're pushing to make the playoffs a lot of things in flux after this first uh, day of games and it, it was a fun fun stretch depending on if, if you had any saints going then you're probably not as excited but you shouldn't have had saints going unless you'll probably found ways to work around that the buffalo bills able to sort of reestablish themselves a little bit although how much a victory over this particular saints squad uh, matters is a little bit up in the air but Ben we had a real barn burner between the Raiders and the Cowboys where the Raiders kind of get their season back 
on track. They now still have a shot. Losing that one yesterday would have been an absolute dagger. Fourth in a row, put them under 500 in a division where everybody is kind of right there or above. And then, man, my Detroit Lions, at some point they're going to win a, a game on the last play instead of losing. Yeah, that was one where you certainly wanted – I certainly wanted to see them pull that out. Um <clears throat> You know, I had said on you mentioned like the ship chasing stream and anywhere else where I was talking about that game that I expected it to go under. I expected the Lions have been fairly run heavy in games that they've been competitive in at times. Uh kind of expected that. We didn't actually see that a ton, in part because obviously we lost DeAndre Swift early in the game, which was really a, a early you know, early part of Thanksgiving downer that you know cast a little bit of a shadow over the rest like, of the I'm no longer game. thankful. Yeah, if we're really being honest. But yeah, no, I mean, they, the, the, you know, you expected sort of the lines to not be the ones to push the, the tempo or the scoring. You expected kind of Andy Dalton to not be the one to do that. Maybe to look like a better fit in this offense at times, maybe to do a couple of things as a drop back passer, as a, you know, 10 year vet or whatever he is that make him look competent. Uh, he had the one drive where he hit Mooney for a deep shot and then hit Graham for a TD right after that. That was literally their only TD drive, but it was enough that all the pundits at halftime and after the game were constantly talking about how, you know, he might give the team a better chance to win than Justin Fields. And all. I mean, you just beat the Lions by two points, like on a last second field goal. I'm not sure how that gives the field already beat the Giants. Or, I mean, excuse me, the Bears, uh, uh, the Lions is the team that they beat. <laughs> Fields already beat the Lions by 10 if you really want to go there but it was only what his second start it was right after the the, the disastrous browns game his first start he goes out and beats the lines it's not like um the end of the andy dalton narrative right now that he gives them a better chance to win it's ridiculous and the, and the argument shouldn't even be whether or not he gives them a better chance to win it should be whether it, it's like a, a a burden of proof thing like it has to be like without beyond a reasonable doubt that andy dalton gives you a better chance to win because if it's anywhere like if it's a preponderance of the evidence thing, if it's anywhere close, then you have to go Fields because that's the guy who actually has upside to develop. Obviously, Andy Dalton does not. At any rate, Fields probably was injured. I, I, I tend to believe that he could have played, but they just wanted to play Andy Dalton. And then he's already good for next week. They've already said that, and it sounds like he's going to play. So this is not a real a real discussion that's worth having. I just thought that was such a ridiculous conversation that, Andy Dalton leads him to one touchdown and three field goals against the Lions. And now he's like, how many easy throws did he miss too? But no one, you know, we're just going to, we're going to not, not comment on those. I don't know, Ben. We have, we have Cole Komet on a variety of teams. Uh, we had another, uh, we'll say rancorous, even though that's not the case, conversation with Davis about who to start at tight end on our big FBG team with him. And, I don't know, Cole Komet, it's like, I caught eight passes yesterday, 65 yards. I'm ready. Let's go with Andy Dalton. No, I, <laughs> joking aside, Komet looked good. Mooney looked good. It's nice to see the tight end getting open underneath, especially if you've been playing him, if you needed to play him. Travis Kelsey out this week. Some of those Kelsey teams, I think the Komet was the perfect fit with him going into the season. You do have this sort of fortunate development where the week that Kelsey is on the bye, Komet hits. So on some of those teams, that may be your first week playing him, and that part worked out. This is a big week, and for we're a big <laughs> Thursday uh, special for the tight ends. If you don't have one of these tight ends that went off on Thursday, then you feel like you're playing from behind come Sunday morning. 
We have the big game for Komet. Obviously, 8 for 65, not a huge game, but with the tight end premium, uh, you get that into the 18 range, which is a very nice game. Would have made a good flex play as well if you if you were desperate enough or had the guts to go that direction. Obviously, TJ Hawkinson gets in the end zone on a nice play. Got the Lions back in. It gave them the lead temporarily there. And you have Dawson Knox in the night game scoring a couple touchdowns. You have Dalton Schultz. His first touchdown called back pretty quiet until the Cowboys are frantically trying to come back at the end here. But Ben, you mentioned that DeAndre Swift injury. That was a real dagger for us. Swift has been kind of one of our main guys and has carried a lot of teams, has looked very, very good. The Lions, not the same offense without him, although Jamal Williams played played just fine in his absence. Williams, definitely a, a solid starter, could, could play for a lot of teams. Uh, the other big injury this weekend was unfortunately Darren Waller. And then you contrast that with these other guys going off and the early tight end approach will have not worked out for a lot of drafters. We'll be getting news on these two injuries over the next handful of days. You know, Waller able to walk around on the sideline. Swift obviously dealing with some shoulder issues there. And with it not being a leg injury, you know, maybe there's some hope that he could come back. I mean, at this point, you're hoping these guys are not lost for the season. Yeah. Derek Carr, a big bounce back for him. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I, th- I think uh, – I, I agree. I think it sounds like Swift didn't have a break, right? And so we'll just find out sort of the severity of the sprain, and hopefully he's able to come back. Waller doesn't sound overly serious. Like you said, was walking around. Uh, but you never know. You know, it's a knee thing. It could wind up being something that they see on, on imaging or whatever. I do want to note, actually, I mean, I've already talked more about Justin Fields to start the show than we, we need to. But uh, as you were talking, I got uh, a notification came across that uh, Matt Nagy is having his uh, press conference today here. He says Justin Fields has cracked ribs and has not been throwing since Sunday. No timetable on his return. Uh, Going into that game, they had said that there were no breaks. Uh, As far as, I I don't know, I feel like I'm getting gaslit by Matt Nagy. But uh, I, I thought I understood that there was no breaks and that he was likely to play in the next game. But now that they were able to beat the Lions on a last second field goal, What I've been frustrated about happening sounds like it might be happening where he's now setting the groundwork to let Andy Dalton continue to start. So anyway, moving on from that. Well, I think you also have to make the case that uh, David Montgomery completely shut down. You had mentioned to me he was very heavily rostered in DFS this week, but without the threat of fields running, the Lions had no trouble stopping him. Uh, A little bit serious. I want Matt Nagy fired. Then we had the the big game from Derek Carr, from Hunter Renfro. Carr had been on a very cold stretch as he loses some players, as they lose John Gruden. And he comes back in this one. The Cowboys had been kind of up and down recently, but it was a situation where they had actually limited the opposing passing games, even in in games where they didn't do that well. They limited Patrick Mahomes a little bit last week. Obviously, they humiliated Matt Ryan the previous game. Ah. Matt Ryan struggled again against the Patriots last week. But for Carr to come out and play this way in a big game, get some of the peripheral guys involved, Zay Jones. We had some Zay Jones sightings, so people who are still not rostering him but still have this slight bit of affection for him maybe because they drafted him many years ago. Or maybe that affection has turned in a very negative direction because they did do that. He made some nice plays in this game. You had mentioned Josh Jacobs kind of moving back into this RB1 conversation. One of the things that I pointed out last week in the Zero RB Watch is that 
Jacobs had really been kind of locked into this RB2 role and scoring profile. He made some nice plays kind of in the second portion of this game to kind of get them going a little bit. I mean, he's he's a guy who really looks like a, a low-end NFL starter from a talent perspective. A reach as a first-round draft pick. It's kind of funny how even within games, some of these things can change because – Kind of in the middle of this game, I was thinking, you know, they he's he's not somebody who's going to change what your team does at all. And those are the only guys you should be drafting in the first round of a reality draft. Obviously, the only players you should be drafting in the first two rounds of a fantasy draft. Now, we know that his ADP was below that. But overall, this turned into a very nice game. If the Raiders are able to move the ball, there will also be some of these high-value touches down by the goal line. And so we did see a lot of positive things if you have Raiders on your roster. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> agree with everything you said on Jacobs. The But when you mentioned the high value touches, that has always been the knock on him pretty much throughout his career. He's always had a good rate of green zone touches that the touchdown potential when, when the Raiders do get down near the end zone, they like to give him the ball a decent amount. They've certainly been passed first down there a little bit at times throughout his career as well. But if a running back is going to get those carries, Jacobs has been throughout his career, the back on his team is typically going to get those carries. And that's a you know the good half of 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 high value touches, and he's getting plenty of low value touches and plenty of rush attempts. But the issue has always been receiving. Uh, he's had a couple games throughout his career where his routes would jump up, but never like sustain higher than like forty percent routes. Earlier this year, he had a three game stretch where he was at like forty eight percent or higher, uh, and Drake wasn't really playing much. But then Drake had a couple decent games and decent plays in these small roles. This was like weeks four, five, six when Jacobs' routes were up. Week seven was right before their bye when Jacobs left the game early, and so his routes were down. Week nine coming out of the bye, his routes were down again. Drake's routes were way up, and it was more like that roll or that split that we expected coming into the year where like Drake is the pass catcher and, and Jacobs is not running routes. But then that flipped right away again in week 10, week 11. Uh, Jacobs was all the way up to 66% routes, which is competitive with some of the, you know, the better dual threat uh, running backs in the league. He hasn't actually sustained this over a long period of time, but the the targets per route for the running backs for both Jacobs and Drake in this Raiders offense have been through the roof. I know over the last like month or so is a period that I was looking at going into this Thursday night slate, both Jacobs and Drake were at 30% targets per route. And so I was, you know, interested in Jacobs for DFS and for all these things because I thought there was this potential for really high, you know, a, a receiving boost as well as we already know that he gets, enough low value touches and, and has the touchdown equity. He actually only caught two passes on four targets, but did play 66% of the snaps again. Kenyon Drake only played 16 snaps, 18% of their overall snaps. They had, you know, an 87 snap game. Usually you see the backups and the secondary running backs work in a little more. Jalen Richard was active in this game, mixes in. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, I think Josh Jacobs is sort of a low key. You mentioned like maybe a potential fantasy RB1 He's a guy I've always been sort of against. I don't have a lot of exposure to, but if you can get him sort of cheap, he, there has been moments throughout his season where it looks like that receiving role could add in. It's not a good team. He's not necessarily a great talent, but pretty quickly he could have a, a high value touch type workload that, that combines all these factors that looks a lot like, you know, like a Najee Harris or something, uh, especially with the route that they're throwing to uh, throwing to the running backs in this offense. So if, yeah, if he sustains this like 65%, 70%, Snap share and route share, like yeah, he's gonna be, it's gonna be solid down the stretch for sure. 
And there are some structural things within the offense that could really bolster that, give him the floor. Uh, you know, if Waller has to miss some time, we already know that they're hurting at wide receiver. Brian Edwards has not stepped up to take targets. And so but without options down the field, we even saw Hunter Renfro with some vertical uh, receptions in this one because they just don't really have anything at wide receiver. You're going to have a lot of incentive to involve the backs when you don't have those receivers to take the targets. So an interesting kind of development there. The other thing from a running back perspective on Thanksgiving, uh, really in the Dallas backfield, you and I had some interesting calls on Pollard as we were kind of going into the week here, decided to go with him because there are concerns about Elliott's knee. And if he's 100%, he didn't look good in this one. At one point, it looked like he might not play hardly at all the rest of the way. And then they did get him back involved. Unfortunately, Pollard on a very nice play, uh, goes down at the one inch line. This one, Ben, even as they rule a touchdown and you know you're playing Pollard, you know it's short. And so you're like, I, you know, we're already kind of mentally adjusted to that. Unfortunately, Elliot does score on the next play. The best part about those ones, sorry to cut you off, is you know it's short, but you, you get a little hope. And then you see the replay and you see how short it was, and you're just like, you get a little bit more bad at the ref for calling it initially. You're like, what were you thinking? Because now you got my hopes up for no reason. <laughs> And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, sometimes on these reviews, they come back and completely ignore the evidence. You never know what they'll do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so he doesn't get in. Elliot gets in on the next play. But he does have the kickoff return touchdown. Pollard has been a disappointment this season, but he gives them an explosiveness that Elliot does not. They obviously need it when they don't have Cooper, when they don't have Lamb. But... One of the things we're always looking for in situations like this is when you do have the opportunity to make something of it, force the coaches to play you. Uh, this is a team that obviously needs those receivers back. Uh, not a particularly good game, even though the Cowboys end up scoring a lot of points late. They get a lot of Gallup points in there late. They get the Schultz points in there late. So from a fantasy perspective, most everyone comes out with most of what they were hoping for. But, you know, we're going to see these other receivers back in play Pollard with them I think is something that'll be very nice for Dak Prescott who again despite the overall numbers did not look great in this one yeah <clears throat> they definitely struggled from a passing perspective struggled to move the ball down the field I mean it ended up being a high scoring game um but they trailed throughout and it never you know like when the game went to overtime and Cowboys got the ball first I was like I'm not you know, in my head, sort of, I was like, I'm not necessarily as confident as I think I should be that the Cowboys getting the ball first means they're going to drive down and score and win this game, you know, and that's not, that's certainly not the way that it played out. Uh, on Pollard, I mean, you mentioned he had sort of a, he's having sort of a disappointing season. He is certainly from a fantasy perspective. I think it's pretty interesting. Like we keep talking about this dude as explosive and I, it, it, like there's probably some fatigue because it's been this way since sort of his rookie year and really his rookie year, he was more explosive than his second year. He wasn't quite as explosive last year in 2020, but this year, like he's having a career year in terms of just like per touch efficiency and some of those elements, right? Like yards per carry yards per target are all very strong. He's almost to 800 yards from scrimmage. Now he has the kick return TD. Like you mentioned only has one touchdown from scrimmage on the season. He had eight over his first two years. So that's part of it. That's a little bit you know, frustrating. If you've been playing Pollard in fantasy, and certainly just like the usage hasn't been there. They've never really, even with Zeke banged up now these last couple of games, they've never really turned to him for even like 50% of the snaps in any game. I mean, 
this game here, Thanksgiving, he plays 42% of the snaps. That tied his season high. It's really weird that they can't – that they. I understand that Zeke's a good pass blocker. I understand there's a lot of these other elements that come into it. But when Zeke's banged up and you think you're a playoff team and, look, he, Zeke doesn't just need to make it through the Thanksgiving game on a short week when he got hurt on Sunday. He also needs to make it through week 13, 14, all the way through 18, and then through additional playoff games. We're like halfway through a marathon. What is wrong with – you know, giving Tony Pollard 60% of the snaps in this game. And again, like some of that's what we would like to see, but I also think some of that is what should have happened and should be happening in terms of what's best for this team. You see a lot of other teams understand these concepts, even if they don't think Zeke is, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's almost like a, I mean, even if you do think Zeke is better, especially if you think Zeke is better, you should want some periods of time where you're resting him to keep him fresh for this playoff run and everything. And I think we do see that from other teams that have good backups for like with the Cowboys, it's almost like an insecurity where they don't want to show that Pollard. I don't know. They, they obviously use Pollard, but like they don't at any point want Pollard to have too much of the shine on him, show what he can do in the passing game and everything else, because then you really would have to probably play him over your $90 million back. Yeah. The contract always comes into play here. It's always tricky. You don't know exactly what their evaluation is behind the scenes and, you know, if they're limiting their team in order to uh, try and make the contract stuff work out a little bit better, that's obviously unfortunate. Uh, you had mentioned they need to get through week 18. And that's, again, kind of where the evaluation comes into play, because you also need to win these games. I mean, this is a game they needed to win for playoff positioning. I mean, it dramatically knocks down their chances to make the Super Bowl when now they kind of push themselves really to the the brink in terms of being competitive for the number one seed and the bye. They've lost three of their last four, three of five since their bye. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, this is a great development for uh, teams like the Arizona Cardinals. You know, you're, you needed to win. And so you've got to play to win. It's interesting. They, they do come out with a report this morning that maybe exactly what you're saying will happen, that this backfield will sw basically swap until the point at which Elliott gets healthy we would like to see that it'll be interesting to see how it plays out you know for fantasy because one of the things we talk about a lot is that i mean structurally we're very confident that these zero rb or modified zero rb teams are going to make the playoffs at a much higher rate than other constructions doesn't mean you're going to make it every time nobody makes it every time but you're going to be overly represented in the playoffs and then once you're in the playoffs so many things can happen in your favor now we're always rooting against injuries and you know in the same way that we're rooting against injuries for players we don't have we're obviously rooting against injuries for players we do have like deandre swift i mean this injury here could completely overshadow what a fantastic season he's had and set up other guys on their roster to now be actually the playoff hammers for you on the cowboys pollard could now be that guy so if you drafted him and i mean that's a that's positive it to me, it was shocking that we didn't see that. I mean, it's not I, – I, I actually, like in DFS, I actually played Zeke, and I didn't play a ton of Pollard because I kind of expected that they would go this route. But it was kind of shocking on a short week that they wouldn't do this after, you know, a tweak on Sunday. But you're saying – I have missed out. Uh, we're, again, recording first thing Friday morning, basically. They, they've kind of implied that. I mean, that's, that's the way that they should do it. So everything I said – It's kind of the thing that they were doing yesterday, right up until Tony Pollard was tackled at the one-inch line. And yeah. you're like, well, if you can't get in on that one, we've got to go back to Elliott. We've got to go back to Elliott for the rest of the game. It is, I mean, I understand, like, especially when they're pass heavy, they like him in there for pass blocking, and that's a big element of this. But, 
you got it. I mean, it's like you haven't even tried Pollard. I mean, I know Zeke's an elite pass blocker, but he's hurt. Like you have to be willing to use the other guy. And it's it, again, it's even weird that they didn't do it in game when Zeke was hobbled, like you said. And look, I mean, we say this all the time. And again, there is fatigue. But if you watch the game, it is very clear every time Pollard gets the ball and gets around the corner, how much more explosive he is than when Zeke gets the ball. And you're like, oh, a defensive end got him before he could like accelerate into the, you know what I mean? Like he got like a swing pass and he couldn't accelerate to the, you know, into the second level of the defense got sort of, you know, caught from behind by a DN. Like, I, I mean, he's not like chopped liver, but there's a, there's a very noticeable difference. This isn't just like exaggeration. Yeah. And, and Pollard had approximately 25 yard run called back yesterday on another one of these phantom holding calls where the announcers are like, I mean, they're in there. To scrum, I mean, why would that necessarily be holding? Which obviously we're against holding unless it's blatant. Let the offenses block. Let the guys run, uh, especially if there are guys. So, but the fact that they had to come out with sort of a report and confirm that okay, we want everyone to know that when Zeke snaps go down, it's not because they're benching him; it's because he's not helped. It's you know he has this huge stature there with the with the contract and everything else. Where they need to make sure it's. Known in advance before they start to cut Zeke's snaps at all. <laughs> well, and, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I try not to overly emphasize because some of the players that I've never been on and never rostered a lot, I, I always like to point out that I don't have as much credibility in terms of saying sell them or don't draft them because, you know, your bias over time comes into play, right? But in the article that we referenced a number of times about Jonathan Taylor, and how he fit this Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott profile and the direction that they go in terms of the career arc. Well, one of the things that you see with, with that was that Elliott for 2021 is in the portion where it's no longer as exciting. Now, does that mean that the guy should be out of the league or is completely washed up or couldn't be a good contributor to an NFL team? No. I mean, you see Melvin Gordon has had a nice season here in some ways too nice of a season where he's really limited what seems like a potential massive breakout for Javante Williams. But I mean, that's kind of a little bit more the role that Elliot should be in as well, where he's splitting time with the understudy who is at this point more explosive and to continue to act like guys are stars when they're not. I mean, there's a difference between Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin cook. I mean, Dalvin cook is a guy who when he's healthy needs to touch the ball in every play. Right. Elliot is, is not that guy anymore. And and it's not even, yeah, and it's not even to bash Elliot too much. I, I'm with you. Like, we're, this is not a guy we draft a lot. But, look, he's he's 26, and it's not like that old. But for NFL running backs, there is a pretty substantial drop-off after, you know, after like 25. And Elliot came into the league at 21, and he played five seasons prior to this one and has always been a workhorse, always done – a, you know, a, a fantastic job. His first three years of, the, of his career, he led the NFL in rushing yards per game. Obviously, Derrick Henry has since sort of taken that crown, but there has started to be a noticeable fade in his efficiency and his production. And like, that's not abnormal. And this is just what happens at running back. Again, when you talk about the zero RB sort of philosophy and all those things, I mean, Pollard also, I'm not particularly young. I think he's 24 because he's in his third year. He's only a couple years younger than Zeke, but you know, doesn't have the wear and tear and everything looks more explosive this year. He's it looks, uh, especially from a, you know, a box score standpoint, more explosive than he has in his prior two seasons. Elliot 
you know, his yards per carry are actually decent, but from a box score standpoint, not, not massively explosive. He was early in his career. I mean, he had his peak. It, it is really hard is all I'm trying to say for a running back to have a six, seven, eight year peak of elite play. It just doesn't happen at the NFL level. And, and Zeke did it for a long time. So, you know, like not trying to like bash a guy too much at all. Like this is something to be proud of. This is this long, you know, productive career that he's had. He's still here kicking around year six, mostly been healthy throughout his career, an absolute workhorse and, and a guy who's had a very fantastic career since he came in the league in 2016. But um, that like times change. And so again, the point I was trying to make the zero RB thing is like, we are often on the, the younger back on Williams instead of Gordon, all these things. It doesn't always play out that way. You, I mean, it, and it is understandable that teams want the veterans for reasons like pass blocking and, and things that are experience related. And um, some guys just have better talents and skills that way. That's something for Zeke from when he came in as a rookie was clear. He wasn't going to be an elite pass blocker. Uh, that's why everyone loved him as a rookie, even in redraft, because it was pretty clear they were going to use him uh, on all downs right out of the gate. But we like we're always going to be on these younger guys. And part of that is because there is this turnover. When you look over a long term timeline at the NFL, the explosive backs, the new emerging ones, the late season emerging ones, they're the young guys. They're the guys that are coming on for the first time. It's it's rarely the, you know, the Melvin Gordon's trying, even though he's having a good season, like you said, it's hard for him to hold on for a whole season when he's got a young explosive back behind him. Everyone is talking about Javante Williams' turn. Right. And it's not that some of these things are impossible and it's not that everyone is going to follow the same arc. I mean, it, it, in some ways it's a little bit fluky that backs like Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, and David Johnson went from just absolute superstardom to almost not being able to play at all so quickly. And we do have some examples of some guys scoring a ton of fantasy points, you know, toward their thirties. And, you know, you go back to the beginning of the century and you have some of the biggest seasons of all time coming from guys like Marshall Falk and Ladinian Tomlinson and Priest Holmes. Holmes is a little bit different because he ha- didn't have the usage early that those other two guys had, didn't have the wear and tear. And then unfortunately his sort of career ends right in a hurry on an unfortunate hip injury. But so it's not impossible. And so, you know, if you have Elliot in Dynasty, if you have Elliot as a member of the Dallas Cowboys brain trust, I mean, you're thinking this is a guy who potentially can get through and create some of those seasons. Obviously, kind of in the last couple of weeks leading up to draft season, there was a lot of talk about how he looked better than ever. And so he maintains that kind of middle of the first round draft slot. In, and perhaps if he doesn't get hurt in some of the other elements for the team. I mean, one of the things that we get to this point of the season and everybody's dealing with injuries of some sort that kind of mitigate what the ultimate upside would have been, whether it's to the player himself or to some of the teammates that, that ruin the ceiling because you no longer have the blocking or you no longer have the quarterback player or what have you. But as you mentioned, the peripherals, and, and Blair has been writing about this really for several years in our different Zero RB Watch articles about how the peripherals are falling off and not falling off a cliff like we've seen with some of these other big names, but falling off to where the upside and the ceiling isn't quite there, which again is important if you're trying to make these buy-sell decisions in Dynasty, if you're trying to decide whether or not you want to use the first round pick, because even the difference between the first round pick and the second round pick can be a big deal. Yeah, and the other, I mean, the other element I think that that you just know, I mean, I agree with everything you just said, obviously, but what you kind of threw in Priest Holmes, and you know that it made me think of Derrick Henry as well, who we didn't see, you know, massive workloads from early in his first couple of years. Very productive at age twenty five. Very productive at age twenty six. I just talked about you know, being older than twenty five. 
there is an element to this when we talk about age and all of these things where, you know, I think there has been some questionable study, you know, studies that have, have cast question on, on what, you know, workloads mean and, and whether there's like a touch limit for running backs. Uh, obviously, you know, just a ton of touches over a long period of time can be a bad thing, but also there are some backs that can handle huge workloads. And so it can be a positive indicator as well. Um, you don't want to freak out over, you know, like Elliot had a lot of work in, in college as well. And that was sort of a positive indicator for his ability to come in and handle a lot of work early. Uh, same for Jonathan Taylor, for example, very dominant workloads in college and has come in and been able to handle that type of rigorous uh, workload in the NFL. Same, same with Derrick Henry, go all the way back to like, you know, everyone talks about his high school numbers. This guy's always been somebody that people leaned on and, and he ended up showing just a, a monster touch ceiling and, and ability. But the point I was trying to make with him and Holmes and some of these sort of later breakouts, it's easy to think about it in terms of age. I think one of the bigger points is just like guys don't have long peaks in the NFL. Like it's just really hard. And so that that is different. And, and it's different in every position. If a guy is peaking really, really early, sometimes we see that fall off. Like it's a tough one. We love Juju Smith-Schuster, but I, I think from what we've seen from him healthy, you know, I, I think we both believe that he could still bounce back even now, even into the future, because he's still very young. But it was pretty clear, I think, over the last couple of years, for whatever reason, he didn't have the same explosiveness as he did in years one and two. And maybe that was, you know, his workout regimen didn't stay as, as strong. It's not obviously that he's old because he's only he played this year at age 24. So it's certainly not an age thing. But maybe, maybe his workout regimen, maybe the, you know, there's something there. Maybe some injuries piled up for him. Well, some of the injuries just can be very unlucky. I mean, the reason that we don't think of Hakeem Nix and Kenny Britt yes. as Hall of Famers or even, you know, fantasy superstars is that their early fireworks, and even for Britt, who initially have hardly any time healthy, when he was healthy, I mean, you had monster ceilings, but they were done, they were done young because just even when they're able to get back you're not the same guy and if you're not the same guy that doesn't work at the nfl level there's just i mean it's a brutal situation and so you have that question of some guys can have just these early peaks that run out before other guys have even broke broken out and then you do have examples of guys who break out a little later and can sustain it adam Thielen maybe is an example of that doug baldwin comes to mind guys that are later round picks as well because we talk about the early opportunity for early round picks and it's it's true sort of across positions once guys hit their peak it's more likely that they can probably sustain that. But or, or, I said that sort of weird because there's also this element where we're not necessarily buying into peaks for older players, right? When they're, when they're just having these career years late. But it, it is an interesting thing. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the main point I wanted to make is that peaks aren't long at the NFL level. By the time we actually realize some of these guys are as productive and they've done it for a couple of years, like a Thielen, then they start to fade. And now, like, he hasn't actually been as explosive these last couple of years. Touchdowns have really carried him. He had a couple year peak there that was fantastic. People weren't really buying in after the first year. Then okay, now he does it again. And then by the time people are like, "Oh, Adam Thielen, he's so consistent, such a lock." It's like, well, no, now you actually have had a long enough peak at the NFL that you're probably going to start to see some some fading. And, and we have seen that. It's it just whether you break out early, whether you break out a little bit later. My main point is, it is hard to sustain for six, eight years high level production. For anyone at any position in the NFL, it is a little easier at wide receiver. You do see the, you know, the Larry Fitzgeralds who even had some career lulls and then the late career explosion, you know, it bounced back up in like early thirties. He looked like he was done. And then he had some mid thirties seasons that were like, whoa, you're catching hundred passes again. But yeah, I mean, it is 
very, very challenging to do like what Zeke has done for six years and seven years and eight years. I mean, it's just, that's, yeah, that's, we want to be on the other side of that. See, you know, the early part of the peak. And it makes it tricky from an economic perspective because as an NFL team and as you're trying to figure out, you know, how do we make sure we compensate the young guys structurally? How do we compensate the veterans structurally? You know, how, how do we structure these contracts based on where players are drafted? You don't want to pay players who haven't done things yet. You know, that's not fair to the players who have accomplished things. But by the time that you have established yourself at the NFL level, then it no longer makes sense to pay for production that's in the past because going forward is going to be different. We see that especially at running back where it creates some difficult decisions for teams. Do they keep their guys? Do they extend their guys? And then once they paid them, how do they handle those difficult decisions where now maybe they're not the best player on the roster? They're not the best player in the running back room, despite the fact that they're one of the highest paid players on the roster. Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Ben, you haven't managed to get Matt Nagy fired yet. <laughs> and I know that lots of lack of trying. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is this is tongue in cheek too. You're you're sort of secretly rooting for for Matt Nagy to turn it around here. But the Giants have made a move at the offensive coordinator position after a game in which I mean it can be difficult to tell sometimes how much is quarterback play, how much is scheme, how much is opposing defense, how much is lack of health of your players. We kind of had joked about Saquon Barkley. 
And uh, he looked good in the receiving game. As a rusher, he would kind of take the ball, walk up to the line and be like, no thanks, I don't have my legs under me yet and, and sit down. We would like to see Saquon score a bunch of points this week. They're facing a Philadelphia defense that over their last five has given up the fourth most expected points to the backs. Now they have actually not given up all the actual points that would fit that, but they're also fourth in terms of running back receptions allowed. Barkley would seem to be a nice fit here in terms of what Philadelphia asks you to do. Can Freddie Kitchens get the ball to him underneath and let him run for multiple 60-yard receiving scores? I mean, anytime you invoke the name of Freddie Kitchens, uh, we've already talked about Nagy, Jason Garrett, no longer around, just quintessential offensive minds of our generation here in the NFL. I mean, he probably feels like he was vindicated in Cleveland there with them, you know, getting rid of Odell Beckham. So, I mean, this is going to be the second story for him, the second chapter. I mean, he's about to write this Cinderella comeback for him and and Daniel Jones in New York. Okay. Okay. Uh, I I will say Barkley, one, one, certainly one positive note. I mean, last week you're, you're facing Tampa. No one really wants to run against Tampa. Um, He actually like, you know, we, we, you and I talked about it. You, you sort of described it exactly the way that I saw it, which was that like on a lot of the handoffs and he only got six, but he'd like run up to the line and be like, well, there's nowhere to go. I'm just going to stand here behind the line. And, 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 but he, he wound up, you know, rushing for 25 yards on the six carries over four yards carry, which, um, you know, very small sample, whatever, but he, he, he got a little bit of rushing yards. He looked better in the passing game, made some people miss, even though every pass he caught was behind the line of scrimmage with a defender behind the line of scrimmage with him, it seemed like, but he had the six catches, but yeah, a, a Tampa matchup where you don't expect a lot of production from a running back who needs to sort of be efficient as a runner. Um, the catches were very nice. And, you know, obviously for him, a big element is going to be can they score points so that he can get into the end zone and have multiple touchdown game upside. But the the one thing was like, look, he was coming back from the injury, even though he had several weeks off and had to buy. He only played 62% of the snaps. You go back to the early part of the season, he played 48% in week one where, you know, he was still sort of, is he fully healthy coming off last year's injury immediately jumped to 84%, 86%, 89% in weeks two, three, four, and then gets hurt in week five. So the 62%, I think does have room. They might be a little more cautious with him now. Who knows? You know, their season's kind of, I was actually pretty optimistic with this one. I thought he might be even more limited and really if he hadn't missed sort of a, a series late, after it looked like he had tweaked the ankle and it turned out, I don't think that really was the case. I think it was just, he was a little bit uncomfortable, but not any sort of re injury. Um, and once they were kind of eliminated from the game, you know, I mean, you don't want to get Saquon Barkley hurt in the last couple of minutes of a game that you've been blown out in. And so overall 62% felt pretty good to me. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly right. That's, that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. Uh, the, the positive going forward is like he only finished with 62% of the snaps last week. And you're right. He didn't, I don't think he had any touches in the fourth quarter or at least late in the fourth quarter. As I'm sort of looking at the, the, the box score here, Devontae Booker, uh, Booker had at least three over their, their few fourth quarter drives. So the main point, yeah, that I'm trying to make is we might actually see that 62% be 80%, which is, will be helpful when you're talking about the expected points against for, you know, against the Eagles. Hopefully we see that. Hopefully we see, that increase, we see a lot more than 12 touches, which is all he ended up getting, which is in part because of the matchup, right? Should expect double-digit rush attempts. Hopefully we get five receptions, six receptions like he has had in all three of his last 
you know, full games that he's played. He's had at least five catches. That has seemed to be something, you know, you alluded to. Are we going to see that from Freddie Kitchens? Uh, that they tried to do after, you know, weeks one and two. He hasn't had, obviously, a great season because he's been hurt. Barkley uh, has only had, you know, the full snapshot basically like three weeks. But he did have, you know, a couple solid games in there where it was starting to look really nice in, in weeks three and four before he rolls the ankle in week five. I'm excited. I'm excited for what he can do the rest of the way. You've, you've alluded to that upside. You go look at his game long, you can see reasons to be optimistic, certainly, especially you go back to that week four game right before he got hurt, 52 yards rushing in a TD, 574 in a TD receiving. That's the line we want to see from Barkley. He doesn't even need that much rushing yardage if he's catching five balls and he makes an explosive play in the passing game. You, you need an explosive play somewhere. But he winds up with 126 yards and two scores. I mean, God, that's that's what we're hoping for here, right? It is. And you just hope that they involve him as a passer, especially these guys who have a little bit of, of injury going on. We saw a lot of rushing attempts from McCaffrey when he came back. And then the second week, a lot of receptions, which made so much more sense. We've seen Kamara have to touch the ball a lot this season. And, you know, whether or not that's related to the injury, but it's just like, I mean, we know that some of these bad offenses are going to want to establish the run. We saw that with the Detroit Lions. And fortunately, Swift was able to kind of come through with a couple of plays that were so explosive that it balanced out the lack of receptions. One of the reasons why his injury yesterday was so demoralizing is he got like three passes in the first three or four plays. I mean, you're looking at a game where you're like, this could be like a 15-catch game. I mean, it looked gonna... amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so we hope that Barkley is used that way, especially with the injured guys running them into the line. It's like, yeah, I mean, we know you got to run the ball some. We don't necessarily want Booker in there to run the ball, but let's get the guys the ball in space and let them run, get as many defenders away from them and away from their ankles as possible. Another kind of interesting game this weekend, Ben, Vikings, 49ers, that kind of contrast with uh, with Rams, Packers, a couple of huge games in the NFC. Uh, interested in your thoughts on these two. Vikings, 49ers has a higher total than the Rams Packers we have Odell with the bye now you and I we only have him on one team this is not a guy that we yeah. were targeting at all but he fell so far in our dynasty startup we're like well let's go ahead and take the shot here we've been joking around some of the shows about selling him obviously nobody has come with a offer we couldn't refuse for Odell Beckham so we're looking at playing him this week on our dynasty team that Ben uh, we've been beating a bunch of teams in low-scoring games. Last week, we played one of the top teams and won by 50. Uh, we were projected to lose by 40, so that sort of 90-point swing, one of the bigger ones that you will see. Our team has been more lucky than good, but now you've got to come through and actually win. You know, They've said Beckham may be a bigger part of this game. We know the Packers, and it's not like they'll be the first team that tried it, and everybody has failed, but we know they will try and take away Cooper Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you mentioned that dynasty team and just as an update where we're at, we, we were sort of thinking about, you know, building for the future, starting to get to some of these wins. Like you said, we're now in, in fifth place. We're in playoff position. Not, you know, we dealt with a lot of injuries we've talked about on the show. Juju, Will Fuller, Michael Thomas never came back, who he was the other one with Odell that where we, we took a veteran who fell very far. KJ Hamler got hurt. We also had LaVisca Chenault on this team, who's obviously been a you know a pretty big disappointment. When they said today they're going to manufacture some touches for LaVisca Chenault. Handoffs, is that going in the right direction? That'll, that'll be fun. <laughs> I mean, we'll, I'll believe it when I see it. 
but Kyler um, was the other one, the big, big name on this team and, and hasn't played for a few weeks now. So we are, and, and Fitzpatrick was our third quarterback who hasn't played all year. So we are, you know, playing one quarterback in a super flex. Odell's our, our super flex right now. He's going to be our, our second quarterback. No, but, you know, look, Odell barely played in his first game with the Rams. One of the things that I've said to you as we've talked about this a little bit and why I'm sort of optimistic was like, look, they went right into their bye. You can kind of figure that they were thinking even in his first game with the team, like, look, we have a bye next week. We're going to be able to get him. He'd only had a couple of days of practice, right, leading into that 49ers game. We're going to be able to get him. And, you know, a lot of teams take take the week off and everything. I, I would have expected, and I don't know, I haven't seen any reports, but that Stafford and Beckham would have used a little extra time, even if it was just working out on their own, sort of like the offseason stuff that you see with QBs and receivers, but throwing to each other, right? Or, or Stafford throwing to Beckham. You had two weeks, two full weeks now to kind of get on the same page. They didn't seem like they really were on the same page. Obviously, that long interception was uh, a pretty hilarious play early in that game. And then they kind of they wanted to use Beckham even early in that game. They threw to him on the first play. They threw downfield to him, and that ended the first drive. That interception. And then they were like, "Okay, well, we're not on the same page. We're going to set you aside for the rest of this game." But now, two full weeks, they they went and got him for a reason. And then Robert Woods got hurt even after they went and got him. But I think they went and got him even before knowing about Robert Woods getting hurt because he went and got hurt on on that Friday practice of that week after Beckham had already been claimed. Uh, or added or signed, I guess he wasn't claimed. But anyway, but I do think after this, uh, you know, this two weeks for the rest of the way that they are going to try to feature Beckham. One of the things with the Rams is they've always been a pretty concentrated offense, basically under McVay. They've sort of, you know, at times they've had multiple running backs, but they've also sort of tended to lean towards one running back. Very commonly have leaned towards basically their main three receivers and their main tight end and not a lot of rotation. And so I think Beckham probably will be in a really high route share here and is likely to be a part of a pretty narrow target tree. Now, if, if Cooper cup does have another 15 target game at it at any point, and he can at any point, that might not be good for Beckham. But to your point, if, if teams are able at any, at any point the rest of the way to slow down cups involvement, it's going to have to be Beckham. I mean, it, it, it gets it could be Van Jefferson or Tyler Hegby or whoever, but they're, those guys not great in terms of targets per out run and some of those things. So there's plenty of room for Beckham to come in, who has still maintained pretty solid targets per out rate and, and target earning potential. Plenty of room for him to come in and be a fairly target dominant player. And it seems like what, what reading between the lines here, that you are saying that if Beckham doesn't run the assigned route anyway, even when he knows the offense, that probably matters less, right? What you really just have to happen is Matthew Stafford has to intuitively understand where Beckham is going to run, regardless of what the play is, throw him the ball there. He will be open and we're going to get some Odell Beckham points. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, a really great way of playing it. Whatever the putting it, whatever the issues have been in the Browns and other places, maybe he isn't running the right route or whatever. He's going to have a little bit more room with the Rams. It seems like they've let bad players play a lot <laughs> sort of the way I mean I'm, I'm talking about Van Jefferson who look he's probably a lot better than I think but he's he's made mistakes he's he's had some bad costly holding calls he's had some things that get players benched for other reasons he's had some bad drops at times he's also made some really nice plays this year I will give him some credit on that but he's done some things that he's had a nice leash and Beckham's gonna have a nice leash too it, it has been interesting. You you know that there are some reasons why Deshaun Jackson gets cut from teams. We also see why he continues 
to get signed by new teams with the big play that he made for the Raiders. It really did change that game yesterday. Then the Packers are looking for a little bit of a bounce back from their defense after they were shredded by Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. They had gone into that on a very hot streak. They'd held down both of the Seahawks star receivers. They had limited Tyreek Hill. And so that one will be a good battle. The Rams defense, middle of the pack, in terms of EP and FPOE allowed in the last five games. Devontae Adams, I think, set up again. We'll see if MVS can be as big a part of their offense in what I think is going to be, we've talked to you and I a little bit about how you've been recommending a lot of the unders in your odds checker articles. I would like to see this game go over, even though, I don't know why I'm saying that. We don't have a lot of fantasy exposure to this game, but we want to see some good reality play. Speaking of good reality play, Jimmy Garoppolo, mostly just handing off to Debo Samuel, but has looked good. Brandon Ayuk bouncing back a little bit. The Minnesota Vikings coming off of that game where Justin Jefferson Looked like maybe the best player in the entire NFL. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is going to beg to differ on that one. But in a game where the 49ers just want to hand off and the Vikings want to get the ball to, to Dalvin Cook as much as possible, we do have some stealth upside for Jefferson, for Kittle, for uh, Brandon Ayuk playing against us in some games this week, but also Debo Samuel. He only has the one catch last week. He does look extraordinary as a running back. He's also tackled inside the five a couple more times on plays where, like, you know, if you get a running back handoff at the three and get tackled at the four, the fact that you were tackled inside the five, maybe not that noteworthy, but he had some big plays where if he just barely beats the last guy, you know, that could be a three touchdown game. Yeah, I mean, only two targets. I think people took that as sort of a negative and, and were like, look, this is what we thought coming in, where Brandon Ayuk can be more of the alpha and be the seven target guy and catch all seven and be the air yards guy and have this big receiving role in Debo is squeezed out into more of a, you know, glorified running back role. I took it as positive, man. I mean, look, like Ayuk and Kittle are, are definitely coming on, and, and Debo might not have the massive ceiling that we saw early in the year when he was, like, the only guy in the receiving game at times. But what we saw in this game was that Debo Samuel is a focal point of the offense, and that is something, like, that's sort of the way that we've explained the unexplainable with Cordero Patterson from early, and we're out in front of that. Like, look, they're going to continue to get the ball to Cordero Patterson. He's a part of their offense. This is clear to me that the 49ers understand Debo Samuel is the biggest piece of their offense. And so even if he is, you know, if they are able to use Ayuk in a little bit, you know, get more out of him as more of a downfield passer, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to play Debo Samuel running back and give him carries in the red zone, right? And like you said, he could have had multiple rushing TDs. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a part of their game plan, almost script dependent. And they're going to have games where they don't throw a lot. Part of the reason they only had the two targets, they only threw 22 passes in this game. But Debo was basically the second running back. He has eight carries, and they were mostly all early behind Jeff Wilson. Trey Sermon comes on, has 10 carries. A lot of those were later in the game when the game was sort of in hand. But, yeah, the way I saw this was like even when they control games, even when they go really run heavy, getting the ball in Debo's hands is going to be such a massive important element of what they do. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it as a positive. I think he's going to get yards either way. And and then he's also going to have plenty of touchdown equity this year is, is what we've seen. And so that was something that wasn't always there with his profile. But he's been able to put, you know, put together a couple rushing TDs in the last two weeks and three on the season. And those help. He only has the five receiving TDs. And I say only. I mean, that that is sort of an only for an elite receiver through 10 games. But he's at eight total touchdowns through 10 games. And that's why he remains an elite player because those three rushing scores. Yeah, I think you also, uh, I would agree in terms of 
it's encouraging. Anytime a team is making the player, the guy in so many different ways, you have multiple paths to getting to the points that you need. Maybe, you know, he's going to have a hard time holding in that 20 point per game range, but anybody outside of someone like a Tyreek Hill, who's going to have the massive share, the massive air yards and the quarterback like Patrick Mahomes is going to have trouble holding in that 20 point range. So if he can hold in that 18, 19, uh, You've got to be very excited about that one. Ben, the other game that I wanted to ask you about, obviously Steelers-Bengals is going to be a big focal point this week, but we have had several Joe Burrow discussions recently. Panthers-Dolphins. This is one where we have Cam Newton in his second start. I was kind of mentioning to you before the show that the, the Panthers were fifth lowest in terms of neutral pass rate over the last five games, but a little bit better last week. We know that Newton is the guy who maybe flourishes more in a run-based offense, but coming off of where they were with Sam Darnold, it looks like it will open some things up for DJ Moore and maybe even make Robbie Anderson somebody who is playable in a desperation situation here. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, the Dolphins have been a strange team where their defense has not quite done what it did in the previous season, hasn't been able to carry them, but part of that is because it's going to be harder when Jacoby Brissett doesn't get you first downs, and so you're on the field all the time. Developments here with Miles Gaskin as a runner, but with Will Fuller sidelined for the whole season, I and mean, they just haven't had the offense that they thought they were going to have. With Devontae Parker currently on IR, Jalen Waddell has been the guy, and he's coming in on a five-week stretch where he's averaging over nine targets per game, over 16 fantasy points per game. We know it's all underneath. And yet he does have the 13 deep targets. He's only caught three of them. I keep thinking that we're going to get a couple of these shots and he's going to catch one and we'll see a 25 to 30 point game sometime, whether or not it's this week. Obviously, if you need Waddle to get in that range in order to get that fourth and final playoff spot, you're hoping it comes against the Panthers. Yeah, I think that's exactly right in terms of Waddle and his and the expectations going forward. You mentioned sort of the, the broad trend of, you know, over-unders and, and game totals. And um, I had mentioned to you, I've been taking a lot of unders and having some success with that since sort of the, the you know, the too deep stuff became a little bit more prevalent. We've seen a lot of, you know, high-profile quarterbacks see their passing ADOT come way down. A lot of talk lately that the NFL product is terrible. Some of that's with the, the referees. Some of it is just that we haven't had as much explosive passing games. This has been a season where defenses – have punched back, you know, a lot of reasons that 2020 was a big offensive season, including obviously the pandemic and no fans and some of those things, the, the lack of the off season, which, you know, we saw way back in 2011 benefits. The offense is a little bit more, you need a little bit more cohesion on the defensive side this year, seeing offenses struggle a little bit, not that surprising that, that, that trend of the, the deep passing being way down has also been there, but obviously lines adjust. And so it's funny, like you mentioned that I'm not really at this point still actively taking a ton of unders in the sense that the, the over-unders are a lot lower now. Um, and we see that over the course of a season anyway, as you know, different offenses are getting banged up, colder weather games, a lot of, a lot of elements where there's tends to be a little bit more running later in the season, a little bit less scoring, but this is the game uh, in week 12 that has the lowest over-under. It's like way down at 42 points, I think. Uh, you know, Vegas is certainly expecting it to be a lower scoring game. I think there is some sneaky potential if guys like Waddle and obviously McCaffrey and, and DJ Moore make some big plays. But um, certainly with Cam Newton under center for Carolina, they might play a little bit slower. 
Um, with, with Tua under center for Miami, they've tended to play a little bit slower at times. It'll be interesting. It'll be. I, I do think this game for for one that has as low of an over under as it does has some potential at the skill positions to to blow up a little bit. To to you know, Mike Kosicki is another name who can make some big plays. And if you get those big plays, the scoring starts to flow a little bit. But yeah, the expectations do seem to be low from from Vegas's standpoint. Yeah, hopefully this is the week for Waddle though. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like the best game environment, but I, I mean, I think it, it it could turn into one. If uh, if we get some big plays, if we get some, you know, big yak plays from from Moore or McCaffrey on the other side, that starts to elevate the scoring and it pushes Miami back on offense to to play a little faster and, and play a little more vertically. It'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a fun game. I, and you mentioned the, the sort of the highlight opportunity, those big play opportunities. Uh, if you are heavily exposed to a particular game, those big plays are fun because not only do they get the the fantasy points up there right away, but it puts the other offense back on. They need to score. You have more possessions. And I think there's a, a chance of that as well this week. So I'm looking forward to this one. The Panthers uh, defense, we've been playing a lot. They have big play potential. They're number 31 in terms of points allowed to the wide receiver in the last five weeks. And so that doesn't feel like a good matchup. But then you go in and you look, and you can do some of these things on the matchup analysis a portion of the road of his site for the individual players you're considering playing, whether that's DFS or you're trying to make these start sit decisions. You can see what the opposing defenses have done in a lot of different stats in a lot of different areas over the last five weeks. One of the things that jumped out to me here when I was kind of looking at this one is that these last five opponents are the Giants, who obviously have had to fire their coordinator, the Falcons, who don't score any points, New England, which obviously not a pass-heavy juggernaut, the Cardinals without McCoy and Hopkins, and then Washington, which is sort of a more of a neutral one. The situation there has been very much in their favor in terms of limiting teams. The Dolphins are yet another team that kind of fits into that. You see Tua here, you're thinking, okay, well, there's some sacks, the potential for a pick six. You know, you're going to have the, the Carolina Panthers defense out there again, but this could be one where it's a shootout, but also has some of these defensive scores. Defensive scores, Ben, as well, can can fuel those points and, and get the offenses back on the field and now in catch-up mode. So below the radar there, DJ Moore going to have a 35-point game. Uh, we'll be partying all Sunday as that happens, wrapping up our week of Thanksgiving. We're thankful for DJ Moore, even though he has not scored for us this year. Uh, we hope all of our listeners had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for sharing your weekend and your week with us. We'll be rooting with you on Sunday. Make those fantasy playoffs. We'll see you in the playoffs. That'll do it for today's Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch and subscribe to the fantastic Stealing Signals newsletter. If you want a 10% discount to Rotoviz and get that for the next year, get yourself set for 2022 of Dominating. You can get 10% off by using the coupon code RBRADIO2021 at checkout. Uh, subscribe to the feed. You'll be able to get the show when it releases, we're going to have maybe a little bit more scattered release times for the next month. So it'll be something that will help you make sure you get that. Uh, leave us a rating and review if you would like. We'll see you next week. Dominate Week 12. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.